This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey backpackers, Bird Shooter here. And this afternoon on the show we have Tim Harrison from Harrison's Pierce Pond Camps, which is located just one-tenth of a mile off the Appalachian Trail and around 16 logging road miles from the nearest township in northern Maine. Since 1986, Tim has welcomed through hikers for breakfast, which is served promptly each morning at 7 a.m. from May through October and just a short distance from the Pierce Pond lean-to on the AT. In the podcast, Tim tells us about running the camp, his experience with hikers over the years, suggestions for those backpacking in Maine, and he shares some sad and happy moments at Pierce Pond. That said, here's the show. All right, this is Bird Shooter. I'd like to welcome Tim Harrison to the show. Since 1986, he has owned and operated Harrison's Pierce Pond Cabins, which is located four trail miles south of Caratunk, Maine, and on the Appalachian Trail. Many thru-hikers know him for the 7 a.m. mega breakfast that he serves up each morning for $10 in the summer. Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? Uh, great. So, first of all, you got to tell me where you're sitting right now, because I know you're expecting a foot of snow tonight, and I believe you snowmobiled up to a ridge. Is that right? Yeah, I'm at the top of Bates Ridge, on kind of the east side of Bates Ridge. The Appalachian Trail actually goes over the west side of this ridge before you get to Pierce Pond. Okay. I think I remember climbing Bates Ridge, actually. Um, what, what, what's the temperature right now, just out of curiosity? We're, we're pushing 80 here in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh my goodness! Well, it's it's 42 degrees here, ah. but there's no wind in the sky. It's so blue with a few clouds. Okay. Beautiful. Nice. It's slightly slightly cooler. And then, just out of curiosity, we you and I are talking in the middle of this pandemic. I imagine where you are, you're completely unaffected by the uh, the worldwide pandemic right now. Is it is that accurate? Yes, it's very accurate. Uh, the county that I'm in, Somerset County, Maine, I believe, there's only been two cases of virus and i asked i went to town today and asked everybody if they knew anybody that had the virus and nobody knows anybody that has the virus so that's a good thing yeah well that's great that's a good thing for sure yeah we're pretty safe up here well and, and as remote as you are and we're going to talk about that i can't say i'm surprised you're probably in about one of the safest places in america right now um that's where I'm at. Yeah. Hey, well, to start off, Tim, I want to thank you for your generosity last fall. We uh, visited your camp uh, on September 28th after a long day of hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and you generously offered up a free glass of lemonade. So uh, thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. You know, that's the thing about hikers. I think the Appalachian Trail through hikers, the most appreciative uh, or the most appreciative group of people there are on earth and everything, uh, they take nothing for granted. I, I give lemonade to everybody that comes into the camps anyways, you know. Yeah. And especially the high kids do appreciate it. But uh, you're welcome. Yeah, well, and I imagine in September you probably have people wandering into your camp about daily. Is that is that accurate? 
Yeah, pretty much. The month of September is pretty busy with the hikers. Yeah, that does not shock me. So, so Tim, can you give us some history on the initial build of Harrison Pierce Pond Cabins? I guess it initially went up in the 30s. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it, it, it was built by Ralph and Leona Sterling. And I'll try to make a long story short, but they, they uh, had uh, 35 men that helped them build it back in the early 30s, and they first opened in 1934 there, and, uh, and then they operated until Ralph died in 52 and whatnot. Um, and then after that, the cabins weren't, uh, the camps weren't on again until 1975, and an older couple from Pennsylvania, Bill Dory Williams, came along and purchased the camps and basically saved them. The camps are so badly run down. And uh, as they were, actually, as Dory started a pancake breakfast, or pancakes were just plain pancakes, keep in mind, but different. But uh, yeah, they ran for nine years. Their health had gone downhill and they had to sell it. And uh, along I came and uh, fell in love with it. I'd been looking for camps for almost a year, you know, and these are the prettiest set of sporting camps I've ever seen. So, so there was a period of time in the history of the camps where uh, they didn't take guests. It was uh, just individuals lived That's there. Right. Okay, I got you. Right, and and then I've been here for thirty-five years running. Yeah, and I think I saw that. Uh, what I think I read somewhere, Gary Cobb has a, uh, a book. I think it came out in the '90s on the history of Pierce Pond, yeah. and he specifically mentioned this camp in terms of having a long history of sporting camps in the area. Is, is that correct? Yeah, sporting camps, uh, well, in relation to the trail, sporting camps are very important. When the trail was first finished uh, in 1937, they hadn't yet uh, finished all the, the lean-tos, uh, shelters, if you wish, and everything. And, but yet there were hundreds of sporting camps throughout Maine, and they zigzagged the trail from one sporting camp to another. And I imagine that made it much easier for the hikers. They didn't have to carry much food or bedding because they got all that at the sporting camps. Yeah. Right. So um, in in terms of the remoteness, I mean, you're in a very, very remote part of Maine. Um, I, I got to believe in the 30s or even the 40s, it was even more so. How has access to this area changed over the years? Well, back in the Sterling's days thing, there weren't uh, these logging roads that I'm on now into here. They crossed the river like the hikers. Uh, they fell across, and then most of them walked in rather, rather than taking a buckboard or a Model T truck in because it was just a corduroy road with really bumpy and everything. Uh, now people can drive right to the camps. I don't think, uh, I bet you, you know, the vast majority of my guests uh, wouldn't be coming if they had to walk the four miles in. like the <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. So, so I mean, back then, was it, you say it was horseback? Is that how people got back to the camps? Uh... Yeah, they had a couple of Piltron workhorses, and they, they dragged their buckboard and got the supplies and everything in. The Sterling's owned the Sterling Inn on the other side of the river at the time. It still exists as the Sterling Inn, but it's at Christopher Nona and whatnot. And uh, so, yeah, they, they, um, yeah, it was a bit more difficult back then. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. So, so you're saying the nearest paved road is four miles away, or the nearest paved road's even further? Oh, it's twenty miles to the town of Bingham. Oh wow, and that's the nearest. Yeah, that's yeah, the nearest yeah. paved road. Yeah. Well, in Pleasant Ridge, a small township, that's sixteen miles away. I got and you. everything, and there's not many houses in that township. And uh, Bingham's the, the only real. See, the Pleasant Ridge is also unorganized. 
Bailey is the, the first organized town that you come. That's 20 miles to, okay. to cross the river. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I knew you were pretty back in there because I walked to get to you. Um, and, and you live there full time. This is not just a, a summer uh, thing for you. You're you're yeah. there year round, correct? Yes. Yeah. Are there ever times that because of the snow? I know you do some snowmobiling, but uh, are there times when you can't get your vehicle through on the road and you your only way in and out is snowmobile? Well, that might just happen tomorrow or Friday, but I, I planned on it. So I'm just staying until the snow melts down again. Ah. But, uh, you know, I try to, you know, avoid a lot of things, you know, but, you know, I, I could tell you a million stories about times coming in and out of here, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so, but, yeah. One of, the, one of the reasons that the cabins are so successful is because they sit in the middle of a uh, just a phenomenally uh, scenic area. Do you want to talk about the, um, the, the the pond itself, the mountains around it, the streams, and just how scenic it is? Oh, I love to talk about it. Uh, I love my home. As I sit on my porch looking at the stream and the beautiful waterfalls coming down as you sit and eat your meals in the diner, it's a gorgeous place, but... This is the outlet of a huge watershed is where I'm situated, and Pierce Pond's really a big lake. Uh, it's 1,650 acres, and it's surrounded by all these beautiful, low, handsome-like mountains that have spring-fed ponds in them and feed Pierce Pond. So it's a huge watershed, and uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, people, uh, the biggest thing about Pierce Pond for years is than the fishing, because if there's any place in the Northeast you can catch a trophy native brook trout, it would be Pierce Pond. But there's a lot more to, to Pierce Pond than just the, the fishing. Uh, back 31 years ago, I was here then, a bunch of people got together and called themselves the Friends of Pierce Pond and established a land trust. It's now called the Pierce Pond Watershed Trust. And it is, they get together to protect the wild character, the natural resources, and uh, just see the beauty of the Pierce Pond watershed and preserve the traditional public recreational use of the area. But not so. There's people working at it. It needs more younger members and everything, especially ones that get build trails. They're working on trails to go on all the ridges that surround Pierce Pond. So it'll be more in the day hike, and that offers more to this beautiful uh, watershed. Um, my camps... Um, and uh, Gary Cobb's camps and everything. We both have conservation easements on the property, so they always have to be open to the public and run as sporting camps. We're both sporting camps. We're different in so many ways, and with my camps, the Appalachian Trail is, is really uh, what it's all about, and, and it's hikers and everything. Yeah, well, it's no surprise to me why you choose to live there, because it's, it's beautiful country. Yeah. When, when, now, when well, did... Um, when did you, you said you took over operations of the camp in uh, what, what was it again? What year in the eighties? My first season running the camps was nineteen eighty six. Eighty six. Okay, gotcha. And yeah. and you're totally off the grid, just so the listeners understand. I mean, there's no electric coming back to you. Right. you you've got to generate uh, your own electric, your own water. Do you want to I talk have, about that? Well, yeah, I have generators. You know, my father's a radio farmer. I repeated signal from an antenna in Caratonk on top of the post office here. Why not? Uh, and I have a, a well, and I have a spring, and I have very good water there and everything. Um, pretty much self-sufficient. Yeah, and hey, by the way, just for the record, this is the first radio phone interview I've ever done. So, um, or you want to talk about the radio phone because the listeners uh, may not be familiar. I know what a radio phone is because we have a, a cabin in remote um, Canada. Yeah. 
but most listeners probably are not familiar with it. Can you can you describe how it works? No, I think it's pretty simple. I climbed on top of the roof of the Caraton Post Office and put an antenna up there pointing in the direction of the camps, and that antenna went down to a box in the post office that's hooked up to the radio phone line. So uh, the phone company would think it's just a regular phone ringing, but it uh, repeats the signal four miles over to where my camps is, where I have an only antenna, and that picks up if it's a windy day, then I lose the signal, and it can be really frustrating at times. Uh, if the weather's bad or whatever, but uh, it, it, that's how it works. It's a UHF repeating signal. Okay, and, you, and you've always had a radio phone there, or have, what, what did you do before I, before that? I, I did. The, the, the people who owned before the Williams, they had a radio phone, but it was a party line radio phone, and I, and I rented it to a, a local phone company, and they sent the signal south right into the ridge, so it, that very rarely worked. And when it did, well, other people listened in on your conversations, too, and everything. And then there were people <laughs> just stayed on the phone all the time. That's right. And you'd get on and say, get off the phone, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that, that only lasts a couple of years doing that before I, I put my own in, you know? Yeah, it's, it sounds like that could almost be good entertainment, uh, you know, to listen in on some conversations if nothing else was going on. Now, now you're typically um, not open during the winter, correct? Your season is, what, May through October? That's right. Okay. So, so you're right. you're about to open up then? Is that what I understand? Well, yes, I'm opening up the middle of May this year. Um, I don't expect as many uh, American Plan guests this year uh, due to this virus thing because I've already gotten cancellations for June. And that's okay. I do expect that it won't affect the hikers too much. I think there's still going to be a lot of hikers on the trail, but I don't know. What do you think, Steve? Well, you know, I was on the Appalachian Trail um, a few weeks ago, and this is before the virus thing really, you know, really exploded, right? And and certainly uh, yeah. the state of Georgia had not come down as hard three weeks ago as it has in the last couple weeks. But um, the thru-hiker numbers were definitely down. Uh, the, the Appalachian Trail Conference had pretty seriously discouraged the thru-hikers from staying on uh, during this time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's possible that in the summer when – you know, things get better as they're expected to do, that they'll jump back on. So, it, you know, it's hard to say, I think, at this point. But the numbers as of, yeah. uh, you know, a few weeks ago were definitely down, no question. Um, yeah. So, and I, I take it summer is your busiest month or is, is fall your busiest time? Well, you know, it, the fishing is best in May, and June, beginning of July, end of September. And okay. then the season's over on September 30th. In between, you know, it's, it's mostly people coming for vacation. And I'll maybe just do a little tiny bit of fishing. There's so much to do in this wilderness up there and whatnot. Uh, so, I don't know, June, I guess, because it's, it's probably the busiest with, with fishermen, although I don't expect it busy this year. As far as hikers go, I, I never used to. I always see my first hikers in June, and even then I'd always see a half a dozen hikers. Uh, coming through and everything, but now since the movies and the books and the internet and, and all that, the trail has become very popular, and I'm seeing hikers, three hikers, the end of May, coming from Georgia, and, and I'm seeing a lot more sub-founders, even though most of them do walk through and everything to make it to West Carrick, bombing to instead of Pierce Pawn. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and during the winter, do you do you have you know ice fishermen and snowmobilers come through much? I imagine you don't you don't see too many hikers in the winter months, correct? 
No, I'm I'm really happy. Um, There's no one fishing on any of these uh, great ponds up here. Um, And just by a snowmobile, and, well, it's just me. Um, And some some friends might come up. Do you ever get lonely in the winter months there when when all the hikers and snowmobilers aren't coming through? Uh, It's funny. Everybody asks me then. The the answer is no, I I don't. Uh, There's... I can do there. Besides, I'm a musician. I play music and music. But I got my little dog, Charlie. He's a really cool little dog. And, you know, I got the radio phone, or if I need to see people, I'll go up to town, you know. But no, I really don't get lonely. It's such a beautiful place to be. Yeah, well, dogs, man, best friend. So good, good choice right. there. Let, let me shift. Right. Let me shift gears uh, on you for a second to the um, the Appalachian Trail specifically, into through hikers. You know, you obviously yep. serve all sportsmen, so um, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily just hikers. But um, when it was inevitable, you're so close to the Appalachian Trail that a through hiker would make make their way to your camp at some point. Do you do you remember the first through hiker you met? Did I miss? I don't remember the first few. I, I can remember the first ones, but I can't remember who was the first through hiker. But I mean, and then you were, you were, you probably were seeing them as early as '86, though, right? Not to the levels that you are today, but uh, right. I'd, yeah. have, I'd have to look at the, the, the log I have back to then, which incidentally, the logs go back to 1976 when the Williams ran the camps too and everything. But as far as the first hike through, like they came through these camps back in 1937, they would have stayed at the camps too, um, and uh, they always rotated the bikers. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad that you you have that registry because uh, when I came through, you you were very gracious. You pulled out the registry. I, I quickly found, um, you know, my name in it, which was really cool. And I actually took yeah. a couple pictures of the '94 group sure. and and posted them on a, a a page, a Facebook page for all the people I hiked with, and they were really excited yeah. to kind of see who would come through before them and who would come through after. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. In fact, yeah. I don't know if you've got a digital camera, but if you could photograph those. Uh, 94 pages again for me and shoot them to me i had some that didn't come out very well and i was really bummed about that i just didn't get a good focus on it but um that was really fun for me i i don't have uh uh, the type of phone to do that this is just an old flip open phone and everything oh yeah old school Uh, perhaps i could have somebody else do that yeah no worries with their monday phone yeah that was that was really cool though i think that's awesome that you uh have have kept that many recently that uh, even hiked the trail uh, uh, before 94 and was there and everything and they, they saw their names and all the other hikers names that they hiked with it brought back really a lot of good memories and so it's, it's a good feeling to me to see that yeah I mean there's not a lot of places not a lot of hostels or spots along the trail that have that that long a record of history right you know obviously the the trail conference does in West Virginia and there are a few places, but most of them don't go sure. back that far, you know? So that was really cool. Um, yeah, I didn't think of that, but that's probably true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got, you have preserved history. Well, Tim, for sure. Um, <laughs> hey, so let, let, let me ask about the breakfast because that, that has been a tradition that has gone for years. Uh, it was around when I went through, you know, over 25 years ago. I know you're still doing it today. You call it the patriotic breakfast, right, for thru-hikers. You want to describe it? Patriotic pancakes. It's a 12 pancake breakfast. The pancakes are thin. 
That is so uh, it's a big plate of pancakes and strong patriotic for the red, white, and blue raspberries, apples, and blueberries in them. Ah. And you can get the pancakes with drinks, or you can get it with eggs, or you can get it with sausage or sausage and eggs. And it's anywhere from nine dollars to twelve dollars for the breakfast. You know, and you know, my kids would come early at six thirty in the morning and everything when I definitely would have coffee ready so they can start drinking coffee. And at seven we have all the pancakes all done right at 7 a.m. sharp, they're reading. And that's important because I have American gland guests that I feed between 7.30 and 8.30, and it's a different breakfast than the several-course breakfast um, and whatnot. But uh, the hikers love it, and they like hanging out at the place, and I love to have them hang out, and yeah. Yeah, you know, your 7 a.m., uh, it worked for me when I was through hiking, but um, when we were coming through here this last fall, uh, we, we were section hiking and obviously up a little later, so we, we were not motivated yeah. to get up so early. So I hated to miss your breakfast, but, uh, but, uh, we, we talked about it. I'll, I will tell you that. And I remember it well from my previous trip there. So, yeah. 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 um, Hey, so did you know that you were listed as one of the best hostile meals on the Appalachian trail in a, uh, 2017 article on the track? If you've ever heard of the track. No, I haven't heard of the track, and uh, I didn't know that. And actually, I'm not a hostel. I'm a, I'm a traditional Maine's sporting camp, but I guess I do hostel-like stuff and everything. I guess, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they gave you. They well, gave that, you. That's very flattering. This is pancake. They gave you big ups, just so you know. And you do all the cooking yourself, right? Absolutely, yeah. Now, you, I mean, I know you get busy in the in the summers. Do you have any seasonal help that uh, comes in? I have friends, and they come in and help when necessary. I don't like to take a lot of people in at camps as far as American plan goes and everything. So, but, but there are times when I have big groups of people, in and I have friends come in and, and help me. And it's a, you'd have to experience it, see what I mean. But everybody makes it their home. They've got a lot of guests that come a lot of years, and their family. And it's funny how this place works. The only way it can... Really describe it here is come up and take a look at what happens here just amongst speakers and guests it's it's a neat place yeah and so just for the listeners your your uh your camp is only three tenths of a mile um off the appalachian trail or maybe even less but uh very yeah, easily it's actually a tenth of a mile from the appalachian trail i'm on one side of pierce pond stream the trail's on the other side however if you're coming from the lean-to the fastest way to get to my camps is to go down the Blue Blaze Trail on my side of the stream, and that's three-tenths of a mile. Hey, so just out of curiosity, I mean, i got to believe that the thru-hikers eat ten times what a, a normal guest would eat. Is, is that accurate? Um, pretty, pretty much, you know. I mean, I mean, some hikers, just, uh, just, it's unbelievable how much they can eat. They'll order two 12 pancake breakfast sausages, the works, and still they could eat more. <sighs> um, I guess they can down the food too I, I feed my guests really well uh, three meals a day and everything and they're pretty fancy cooking gourmet and several course type of meals and and all they can eat too and but the hiker not too many people can beat the hiker's appetite yeah i can imagine now other than um that the other than your guests probably smelling a lot better than the through hikers how do you compare yeah. the way your guests eat to compare to the through hikers they've got to probably eat a lot less how how is serving them different i guess is the question so i mean well you know treat them the same and everything i serve them the only thing different is that uh, i have you know like the breakfast is a three-course 
breakfast, I stop to walk with the, the melon or, or cantaloupe, and then I go to a hot cereal, usually with fruit in it, and then the main course, which can range from pancakes, eggs, down at a town, that type of thing. And then the, the lunch is a patch and a cooler with everything in it, including my famous crazy killer cookies, which I used to write. And then uh, the supper is a five-course supper. I start you off with homemade soup. Everything's homemade that I do, too. Homemade soup, and then I go to a beautiful salad, and it's sort of family style. And and then I go to homemade breads, and then the main course. Um, and that can range from anything to a lobster or a steak dinner oh, one go. night. The hog wings another. I have or fundifies. Uh, I have different names for my meals and everything, like the patriotic pancakes and everything. And then the last course of the supper is, is a wonderful homemade dessert. Wow. That's... And with the high kids, I just bring out the plate of pancakes, the sausage and the eggs, and they help themselves to the drinks after all the guests there. Put all the coffee and hot water for teas and everything out there for people to help themselves to the drinks. I have a system, and that's how I do it on my own, is, is people help out. Yeah. Without even asking, they just do it naturally, you know. You're, you're making me hungry here, Tim. How often? <laughs> well, I said, they finish their breakfast. They didn't get to the camps before, you know. And they're bringing their plates into the kitchen. No one told them to bring their plates in the kitchen. Next thing you know, if I don't catch them, they're washing the dishes. I said, come on, guys. I said, what restaurant do you go to that you bring the dishes to the kitchen and then wash them, you know? Yeah. And I just laugh. But that's that's what this place is like. It just makes people feel like it's their home, you know? Yeah. Hey, just out of curiosity, how often does a, a thru-hiker come through and they just decide to stay for a couple of days? You know, they, they go from being a thru-hiker to just a regular guest. Does that happen very often? Well, usually they yeah, those hikers that like to take zero days at baseball and lean to. If I was staying at the camps, I'd do like a bed and breakfast and everything. It's usually one night, but some stay long. I had a couple of people late in the season stay, and the one was, wasn't feeling well and everything, and I made him stay another day. I wouldn't charge him and everything. And I also insisted that I brought it to the hospital, and it was a good thing to see a good action and everything. No, so they stayed three days, those, those two people, but other than that, they usually stay one day, and, and, but there were a lot of, you know, zero days hiking up at this point. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, that would not surprise me, because that's a beautiful sight. If you're going to take a zero, it would be, you know, at that Pierce oh, Pond lean-to. Gorgeous setting. Yeah. Um, hey, do, do you have any suggestions just to uh, through hikers before they visit your camp? I know you, you have a a pretty well-written document that's in the shelter to sort of tell them what to expect. But can, can you tell the listeners uh, sort of the, the essence of that? Well, you know, I just, I want people to, I want bikers to see this place. It's a really unique place on the trail. And it's, it's, it's been there since before the trail and everything, but the trail's always been part of it. Hikers, they, they don't have to spend money to come visit me or anything like that. I don't want them to feel like they have to, make reservations for breakfast or something like that. And, and they're certainly welcome to just hang out all day long, you know. It's, there's books, there's pool table. I mean, there's all sorts of things for, like, there's chairs. There's, there's something like it doesn't take for granted, a chair. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. You know, I have really good water. come down just to get your water. Just check the place out, you know. Yeah, any suggestions on how to be a good guest? I know typically through hikers are well-behaved. I'm sure you get the occasional one that's uh, not. But You just don't be bashful. 
Yeah. You know, and make yourself at home. That's where you'd be a good guest. And yeah, most people, I mean, most hikers, they're really good people. I'd say like 99.9% of the hikers that come to my camps are really nice people. And everybody's different, you know. And there's certain groups of hikers that stick with each other and whatnot. But, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. How to be a good guest, you know. Like I said, make yourself at home. Come and meet me and talk to me. And uh, if I'm not there, they might be my guests there or the hikers or whatever. Yeah. What, what's the craziest experience you ever had with a through hiker? Good, bad, funny, whatever you, whatever you want to tell, whatever story. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of them. I can imagine. There's, there's a lot of them. It, just, uh, it can go anywhere from, well, it was a retired Navy guy, Typhoon, and he fell down and cut his eyes open and everything, and came and I can't believe, and I'll try to make this a true uh, story as possible, and so I, I um, got into the hospital and uh, did my shopping, because I was going that day anyways. I was, in fact, I was just heading out when he came in, and so I looked at the hospital, went back and picked him up, and he was talking with the doctor there, Dr. Richardson, and they had to call Dr. Richardson, because he was their best surgeon, and it was a real close-to-the-eye type of operation this guy was there but they talked to me about hiking the doctor turned around and i recognized him right off he had been in my camps a couple of weeks before eating pancakes he's a real avid hiker uh. and not. and so anyways the typhoon came back to camps he got a standing ovation from all my guests and everything it was a real happy experience and he stayed in touch and and he happened to run into that doctor in millinocker once he had finished the of the trail and the doctor checked him out and everything. But I've been in touch with Typhoon ever since. Okay. There's the story of my little dog, Charlie, when he was less than years old, he'd, he'd follow hikers up to the lean to and whatnot. And he followed a hiker all the way down to the river one day. And, uh, you know, by the time I realized it, I, I, that he must have followed this hiker, I rushed down by ATV in the old uh, trail the Sterling used to take in and whatnot and headed off the hiker. And he told me he left him with a salt pounder, you know, to bring him back, you know, he didn't, he didn't get halfway, and he figured the dog wasn't going to go back, so he left him with a cell pound. So I went back to the camps after thanking him very much and, and get back there and across the trail. Around the corner comes little Charlie, and behind him, this was June 21st, mind you, nude hiking day came, a new uh-huh. hiker. Oh, yeah. And he had a gazillion bugs all around him and uh-huh. everything. And all I could say was, damn, the bugs, I can just stand them. You know, it was, it was just kind of a funny thing. There's a wicked nice guy and everything. And they brought my dog back, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. it's a good place to be on a nude hike, I suppose. You're in the woods all the time. I suppose neighbor would be the place to do it, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, I think and, I'd be loading up on my DEET before I uh, drop my clothes to hike on nude hike a day. Yeah, yeah. And, and my favorite story would be uh, this 10-year-old boy came into the camps one evening, right at dusk and everything, to make reservations for his mother's two sisters that were twins, they were five years old and himself. And uh, he brought his water bottles down and everything, and he wanted to pay me. I said, well, you pay me after you eat. Everybody pays me after they eat in the morning and whatnot. So he just holds on to that. And he got his water, and then he left. And about 20 minutes later, he came back to the door, and he said, did you see my $50 bill? I was going to give it to I leave it there? And I looked and said, no. And he, he was crying. He said, don't worry. He said, you're all going to have breakfast no matter what. He said, we had blessed. I remember having it. It was in his hand, you know. I said, well, let's, let's go back on the blaze trail back to the lean-to and see if we can find it. And it was dark, and we couldn't find it. And on the way back, I did find it, and it had a red magic mark on it that he told me about 
it was from this uh, this guy so that I could give the mother the money uh, to do this, take the kids to breakfast because they were on a very tight budget. Uh. So he put this, his name, Wooden Reg- Magic Marker or something on it. I found it on the way back just before I got to the camp, so I decided to wait till the morning to let them know I got it. But in the meantime, I had other hikers staying at the camps, and they were up early having coffee, and we're talking. I told this one hiker the whole story and everything, and just as I pulled out the $50 bill, I said, look at I found and everything, the little boy came walking to the door at 6.30 in the morning with a big smile once he saw the $50 bill with the yeah. red mark, you know? Right. And, and so I said, hey, you hold on to this. You can pay me after breakfast. Well, I was talking to his other groups. I just said they want to anonymously pay for their breakfast there, even though it was being paid by another hiker. And all of a sudden, that other money get there on ice cream or something, you know? And uh, so that just happened. But it just... It, People do all these things for people. They have to run this trail all the time, the way the world should be. People just want to help people out, you know, and it's a great thing. Wow, so some other hikers paid for their breakfast, and so they still had that $50 to, to use elsewhere. Yes. Wow, and that wow. Another hiker had given them to buy the breakfast and everything, but they, they wanted them to get ice cream. So they wanted them all to get ice cream for these kids when they got the mods and you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So... So I'm just curious to ask, um, have you ever had to participate in any searches for missing hikers or hunters in the area? Because, I mean, it is pretty remote, and I could easily see where someone would get lost in the area. Well, I've searched for people on my own and, and, and found them, and I've, I've, I've done other things in living hikers. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it always seems to be tragic a lot of times and everything. Um, um, the most tragic one would be Parkside. Okay. Uh, he was uh, uh, He was from Flushing, New York. He was a 20-year-old guy that everybody on the trail liked. And he oh, wrote great yeah. entries in the, in the lean-tos, uh, registers and everything, I was told, and whatnot. He hiked with his companions from Little Big Old Lean to Pierce Pond. It's 18 miles. This was all day, June 15. And they got to lean to an unlike what they usually the hikers kept the food out. Box wanted to go swimming first, and he always used to get the food out first. But he asked them if they wanted to go swimming. They said no. They were not eating, and he'd gone swimming unbeknownst to them. Next thing we knew, they heard help, and they heard it twice, and Box went down. Box had drowned. Really? Wow. What time of year was this? This this was in June, June fifteenth. Okay. Now was this in the? What happened is he got cramps in his legs from the cold springs that had come up on Pierce Pond. Evidently, he was going to swim across from the lean to to my dock. Okay. And didn't make it. He uh, got pretty close. He was in about 15 feet of water, and his pulse was uh, cramped. The cold water just cramped him up? and then that Yes, was... and, you know, it, he's got these strong tree trunk legs or through hiker on a warm day, these muscles and everything. You know, this cold water after a long day and everything, I can imagine. Yeah, I never oh, thought yeah. of that. Wow, that's that's crazy. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was just an awful day. Earlier in the day, this, the, the woman that came down to tell me that there was a hike of drowning and the phone and everything had from an attack by a needle on the river. Wow. It was protecting the last type of thing. And so she came to the camp traumatized, and so I made a joke out of it and gave her the trail name Eagle Food. Ah. But anyways, Eagle Food was the one who came down, running down to tell me about Parkside. It took us a while to find Parkside, but we found Yeah. And then this is, and whatnot, yeah. What, what year was, was this? It was really awful. How, how long ago was this? 
this was 2012, long time ago now, eight years ago. Yeah, God, that doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess eight years has flown by. Hey, on a, on a lighter note, Tim, uh, I know you have a lot of interesting wildlife that uh, wander that area. Have you had, I mean, I'm sure you get bears in camp. Can you can you speak to your uh, experiences there? Like bears? Well, I, I actually have only had one problem with bears, a couple of bears, and there weren't any beech nuts on the trees that year, and they get into my garbage and then my refrigerators, and I had to shoot one. And that was off. I'm not a hunter or anything, a beautiful animal, but I had to do that. Otherwise, my guests would have been eaten. Yeah. Uh, but as far as wildlife, uh, the, the loons are wonderful as night. Just can tell you the sound of them every night and some of their antics. Hummingbirds, right from my porch, I have 60, 70 that feed off my feeders. And then peak, they go through 10 cups of sugar water a day. So that's a pretty amazing sight. Uh, moose is moose. I just said the other day I chased a moose with my snowmobile over <laughs> four miles. Okay. And I didn't need to chase it, trying to back up. It just kept on running. Yeah. Uh, I could tell you one story of wildlife after another. Yeah, um, I imagine. It's a, it's a beautiful place up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so the moose, I think, are the coolest to see in, in that part of the country. But what about wolves? Do you see uh, wolves very often? I know they're pretty uh, stealthy. Um well, about half a dozen years ago, there were wolf tracks, and then no tracks and everything. There weren't coyotes or fox, and these were wolf, and they weren't a dog, and they found dead. So evidently, they, they come down into maybe out of Canada or something. Hmm. Okay. I saw mine for the, I, I saw my first wolf in the wild last year in the summer, so that was an experience. But Yeah, uh, yeah and this was in Canada, which would be about the same latitude where you are. Uh, and I guess up yeah. where you are, they're timber wolves, right? They're not the um, uh, the bigger wolves that you get out west. So, Tim, just out of curiosity, um, we've got Easter coming up this weekend. Are you? Do uh, you have any plans for with the Easter bunny? No, I don't. No. Okay. No Easter it's egg hunts or anything. No, I, I don't have any plans with the Easter bunny. My kids are all grown up. No, I just uh, no, I don't have any plans for Easter Sunday. However, I expect friends in. Yeah. Okay. So what, we know there's still a lot of snow on the ground up there right now. When when is it really feasible to start hiking kind of short or even longer sections of the AT in Maine? Well, as far as starting from Katahdin, you have to wait till they open up, and that's usually the end of May. I think it might be a little earlier this year. We had a little bit milder winter, but you know, I see that and hike has come through in May. Um, you know, there's still some snow on some of the peaks. They say they're not that much. So, you know, I, I, other than Katahdin, you know, May's a good month. The only problem in May is just all the bugs. That's why there never used to be many salt bombers. Oh, yeah. Because once they open up Katahdin, that's when the black flies come out. Yeah, now when are the bugs at their worst? Probably late May, early June? Is that yeah. peak season? Yeah, right, right around the Memorial Day time and everything. Um they could be earlier this year. Is it feasible for you to get out on the AT around Pierce Pond and hike a little, or is there still so much snow on there it's not really practical? Well, yeah, there's too much, there's too much snow. Okay, gotcha. Um, and and the, the streams and the brooks feeding Pierce Pond stream, those are too high, too. And um, Yeah, you'd, you'd have to wear snowshoes. It would okay. be really kind of messy right now. But come May, it'll be beautiful hiking. You know Maine well. I'm just curious if you have any advice to those uh, section or through hikers that are doing this part of the AT, because Maine is very different than the rest of the trail. Do you have you have any advice for them? Price is 
Yeah, it's a really easy question to answer. There's a lot of rocks and roots, as you probably recall in Maine, and especially in my section, even though uh, for North Pounder coming 18 miles from Little Bigel to my camps, there aren't any mountains. There are rocks and roots and the mud in between. And, and hikers can get a really good pace going and everything, but as a result, a lot of hikers are on this section of the trail. So my advice to them is just be safe, period. Just be safe. Watch the rocks, the roots, the mud, and everything. Think about safety all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I know me personally, I had to slow down a lot when I got to New Hampshire and Maine, and that's really the best thing you can do is just take it, take it at your pace and don't be in a hurry because it's not going to work like it does in Virginia or other places further south. Um, yes. The other advice as far as safety goes to is don't ford the river. Oh, yeah. You're talking about the Kennebec, right? There, there have been three hikers that have, that have drowned in the river since I've been here. I don't want to see any more drownings and everything. And a lot of hikers, they just have to ford even though you're not on the trail because the white blaze is in the canoe that covers your cross and everything, you know, but... It's kids and I just tell me they're gonna afford the river. Yeah. I don't condone that at all. Yeah, that's a big no. river. That is a big river and that water level can change at any time when the dam lets loose, right? Which is why they have the uh, canoe service across. Exactly. So that that's good advice. We would by the way, just so you know, Tim, we definitely took the canoe when we uh when we did that section and saw you here in the fall. So uh yep. that is good advice. How long do you plan to run the camp, by the way? You've been doing this since eighty six. Until I drop. <laughs> Good for you, man. I'd like to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, and then, then after me, it'll be somebody else because the, the camps have to be run as a sporting camp always. Oh, so that's how it was. You, so somebody couldn't it, just it buy them. To, to the public. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Interesting. That's uh, Is that a county rule? Is that a state rule? Like, how, how is that instituted? No, the, 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 the PSP should trust holds the conservation easement on my property. Ah, interesting. Oh. And. And in that easement, it states that it just can't ever go private. And it would be a shame if, this, if my camps ever went private. But this is a place that needs to be shared. And that's why I love it so much to share my place. You know, it's just a very special place. I mean, you just can't have some rich person come in that uses it two times a year. And yeah. No, it's a very important place in my mind to the hikers, too. Um yeah, well, it's good to know that there'll be there'll be some longevity there. So that that's uh, that's interesting to hear and good to know. Tim, just to kind of wrap things up here, um, if if the listeners could remember three things about Harrison's Pierce Pond cabins, what 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 would you like them to remember? That my home is there. Okay. And that they'll immediately get that feel when they walk in. They'll feel comfortable. If I'm not there making them feel comfortable, then somebody I know will be there making them feel comfortable and everything and taking care of them. Um, it's a happy place. And the, the most important thing to remember is that the camps will always be open to the public, to the conservation easements and everything. And, you know, I want them to remember that uh, there is the Pierce Palm Watershed Trust um, that uh, if if they want to, you know, please do visit PearsPondWatershed.org site there, whatever it is, I'm computer illiterate. But, uh, and learn more about, uh, you know, this Pierce Pond area and uh, join the trust. Um, it's a really special area, like I said, and people working hard and making more trails over the ridges and, and all that and, and whatnot. Um, other than that, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I'd want to remember about my camps. 
uh, just especially everybody's welcome there. Yeah, I, I will tell you three things that I won't forget is one, how scenic that area is. It's a beautiful shelter, and uh, your breakfast is, is phenomenal, and uh, the, certainly the hospitality is as well. So, um, yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you in the fall. Thanks again for pulling out the old registers. That was really fun. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully some of the listeners will hear the podcast and come see you, Tim. Well, that'd be great. I'd like to hear from them. Well, thanks for all you do, and again, thanks for that glass of lemonade. It was uh, it was a hot day after a long day of hiking, and we really appreciated it. So thank, thanks again for being on the show, especially for going all the way up on the ridge to take the call from a snowmobile. Uh, what, you're on Bates Ridge, you say? Is that right? Yeah, it's just a beautiful day, though, you know? Yeah, well, thank you for taking the extra effort, and we, we tried to get this together for a while, but it obviously isn't easy, uh, as remote as you are. So uh, great to have you on the show. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from n2backpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.